What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan, is the Ringer's latest narrative podcast. Episodes one and two launch on June 9th, and you can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I am a staff writer at The Ringer. Joining me as always, a Ringer staff writer, Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach. Hello. And Ringer staff writer, Ben Lindbergh. Say hello, Ben. Greetings. I can tell there's a little pep in your step because we have a very special episode. That's right. The start of the NCAA baseball tournament is this weekend. And Division we're going one to spend baseball tournament. Next, excuse you. <laughs> the next. Yeah, yeah excuse yeah, you're right. You are right. Because since I said the words college baseball, Zach, who is an alumnus of a Division three school, has decided to out hipster me and start slacking me fairly frequently about the travails of Washington University and St. Louis and in the Division three postseason. But Ben, I have news for you. Okay. So you may or may not know this, but I don't. I'm first, sure there, if it okay, involves there, college baseball. Well, the format of the tournament, there are 64 teams, and the first round is a double elimination tournament. There are 16 of them of four teams each throughout the country. 15 of them this year are being held at the uh, home stadium of the highest-seeded team in the group. The exception is being hosted by South Carolina because the top seed Old Dominion is unable. They didn't bid to, to host the tournament. So ODU is the one seed, South Carolina is a two seed, and it's being held at Founders Park in Columbia. And the obvious confluence is 
Old Dominion and and the founders. And as the Wayun of this podcast, I thought you might uh, find that interesting. <laughs> well, it takes a lot to get me interested in college baseball, but this is a valiant attempt. So I appreciate you <laughs> you making it. I wonder if I could even tell the difference between Division One and Division Three. I don't have a dog in That's this rude. hipster fight that you have here. I might not know even know which one I was watching if you showed me. So I'm I'm not really rooting for either one in this fight. Victory is life, Ben. Victory <laughs> is life. All right. So the real special part of this episode is we are going to be doing a list. The people love lists, as they say. Our list is our 25 under 25, the top 25 players in baseball under the age of 25. Uh, If this sounds like a good idea, you can tell that that's because Zach came up with it. So, Zach, why don't we your ground rules section on our rundown is almost as long as the actual list. So why don't you take us through some of the ground rules real quick and then we'll we'll get to to the list itself. We live in a society, Mike, and societies have rules. So the rules for our ranking, first players must be 24 or younger. And we're going by baseball reference age, which means that the players involved cannot turn 25 until July 2021 or later. So that excludes the following notable 25 and 26 year olds like Shohei Otani, Carlos Correa, Will Smith, Yohan Moncada, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, and many more. So before you tweet angrily at us after finishing this episode to ask, how could you leave so-and-so off? Make sure to check their age because... Ben's, been, all- <laughs> Ben's been tweeting at us angrily about not allowing Shohei Otani on this list. <laughs> no, right. can I just say actually just the opposite? This was a, an agonizing, grueling experience for us. Hopefully it'll be fun for the listeners and for us to talk about. But to make the list was really, I mean, we sweated and strained over this thing. So to find out that someone was 25 was the greatest relief of the whole experience for me. Just knowing that I could cross someone off the list, not for performance-related reasons, but just because he wasn't eligible, that was just a a deep breath of relief each time. Also not eligible for the list are players under the age of 25, but who have not appeared in a major league game yet. We didn't want to just make a prospect ranking. So if a player has not debuted, they were not considered for the list. That means no Wander Franco. That means no Adley Rutschman. That means, you know, we we didn't allow Mike to sneak Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker onto the I list. I wouldn't have gone Leiter Rocker, but I did specifically threaten to put Rutschman at number six. So just know that that's where he would be in my my ranking if I had been allowed to. If Zach weren't such a stick in the mud. <laughs> we are also not considering contracts or service time. I know for... The actual teams involved, a player with six years of service time left might be more valuable than a player with two years of service time left. We weren't considering that here. We're just answering the question, which players do we believe will perform best over the rest of their careers? So to that extent, factors like injury history matter, age matters, because if two players are equally productive now, but one is 21, well, the other is 24, then we'll probably go with the first guy long term. But Besides those ground rules, anyone who has played an MLB game and is currently under the age of 25 was considered. And like Ben said, this was really difficult. I quickly identified a top like three or four and then having to order those three or four and then having to decide on the remaining 20 plus guys on my list was really difficult. Mike, Ben, Bobby, and I all made our own lists. We averaged them together to come to a group consensus. And we're probably going to fight about some of the rankings along the way as we detail them here. 
I hope so. Well, let me throw out this big picture question to you guys, which I have not talked to you about, but was something I was considering as I was making this is that A, we are primarily projecting these players and trying to figure out how they will perform over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years, which is already a pretty impossible task. But to what degree were you guys attempting to predict changes in the game? Because we're talking about a period here that will cover multiple CBAs. We could be a year, multiple years away from some pretty landmark changes, whether it's robo zones or whether it's moving the mound back. I get my way and it's moving the mound back or it's restricting pitchers and changing pitcher usage. So I was trying to factor that in. I don't know if it was a a huge factor for me in, in, in many cases, but it's definitely something I considered at times when trying to wait, okay, do I want a pitcher or a hitter or a starter or a reliever or a catcher who's not going to be able to frame anymore? So did that enter into your thinking at all? Yeah, I think if Will Smith specifically were eligible for this list, he's a little too old, then I would have considered that because I think Smith's biggest problem is his framing and that might go away soon. But because basically none of the under 25 catchers are either good enough to warrant consideration here or like Rutschman are still in the minors. That particular aspect didn't weigh too heavily on my list. And we'll talk about the pitcher versus position player split here Mm -hmm. because that was one of the most revealing aspects of this exercise for me. But I did consider that a pitcher who might not stick as a full-time starter in my mind can still be really valuable in the 2020s if he can be like a, a Tampa Bay Rays style three or four inning guy on a consistent basis. Yeah, that was just one more variable than I was really willing to consider, particularly because Ben said the one thing that I think is coming that I feel confident uh, is going to come that will actually impact the way that the game is played is a, a robo or an automated strike zone. Uh, and since I'm not allowed to pick Adley Rutschman, who's an excellent framer, uh, it didn't really factor in because it just, I mean, you're not getting your way or we're not getting our way. We're not getting the mound moved back. So uh, if that happens, we're wrong in the 15 years between now and the end of like Dustin May's career. So be it. We'll, we'll podcast about that one. <laughs> yeah, happens. that's a separate podcast. I think that could happen in the next 15 years, but hopefully we'll be making Ringer MLB show episodes. I, I do think that there could be some small effects for other players too. I mean, think about how that impacts plate discipline or a pitcher who's able to get a little leeway, leeway off the edge of the zone just by, you know, having pinpoint command or something. I mean, I think these things matter. And also, you know, if you were to throw from a different distance. Maybe that affects a a fastball pitcher more so than a breaking ball pitcher, or, you know, maybe the ball changes. I mean, the ball could change next week or tomorrow or next month. As far as we know, that just fluctuates all the time. So it's almost not worth trying to figure it out. But if you do think, well, we're at an almost all-time high home run rate still. If it comes down from there, well, maybe do you bump down a guy who has a pretty good power in this environment but might not in another? But yeah, there's so many variables to, to keep track of here, and it's hard enough to try to project the players without also trying to project the state of the sport and the world in general. Yeah, I think by the time Dustin May retires, we're going to go through about 12 more rounds of how is the ball behaving this month, yeah. this year, this day. Yeah. We're not going to have enough original ideas over the next 12 years and we're not going to there. We're going to revisit this list. Somehow that sentence fits together. All right. Uh, let's start with the the list. We can get to some honorable mentions at the end if we have time, but I do want to just get going here. Um, number 25 is 
Washington Nationals center fielder Victor Robles, who and I don't think it's really worth discussing how he got on this list or or why. So let's uh, let's move on to number 24. (laughs) Mike, so you don't want to talk about how. uh, So basically, the way that these lists came together was we were generally in agreement on upwards of 20 guys. But number 25 was just, you know, we all had like one or two players who were on nobody else's list. And Robles gets the 25th slot because his champion, Michael Bauman, believed in him the most, well, even though Robles okay. did not appear on anyone so, else's so list. So here's also what happened. apparently there was forgot a, where he ranked him. <laughs> there was a cutoff. I wasn't going to bring that up in front of the kids, Ben, but thank you. No, there I'm was a cutoff. The there was, there was a it's step change. There was a, yo, yeah, we're fighting dirty at the end of this list. All right. So there was a, a step change after number 16 on my list where it, like 17 through about 30, I could entertain it. Uh, basically any order based on how I, you know, what my gut feeling was about the player. I'm, I'll say this up front. I am a sucker for elite defensive center fielders who have shown even offensive flashes as evidenced by my lifelong, uh, um, I don't know what the, the, the noun is, uh, flirtation uh with uh with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um I will say you guys are giving me crap and and Christian Pache was not on the uh, or was on the the list of honorable mentions and I think he's got way bigger uh concerns about his bath than Robles does. So yeah, you know, I'm not gonna go to bat for him too hard. This is this is why I w- I kind of wanted to the ability to finesse this list once uh <laughs> uh rather than just going by the numbers because I seem to be a little bit out over my skis on this one. But I think he's a really good player who's sort of gotten sucked in by uh some of the other great players on that Washington team. And I still have maybe undue confidence in the bat coming around to at least a, a league average level. And he could be a really, really good player if that happens. Unfortunately, this is Bauman's last podcast because he forged Jackie Bradley Jr.'s birth certificate to make it look like he was under 25 to include <laughs> him at number three on this list. So he's going yeah, away for a long that's time. that's a massive ethical lapse. But. <laughs> so number 24 on the list is uh, a divisional rival of Robles. It's Mike Soroka from Atlanta. Soroka... Uh, is out for the season most likely with a setback after tearing his Achilles last August. It has now required multiple surgeries. I will say Soroka was last on my individual list. Uh, he had the 25th slot there, and he was basically in that range for most folks here, probably because he's been very good when healthy, but I have no idea what he's going to look like when he returns, when he is going to return, and I I had a couple guys at the end of my list who were basically just injured pitchers and I didn't know what to do with. Yeah, I'm the guy who left Soroka off my list entirely, so I guess I have to defend myself here. And in Bauman's defense with Robles, I considered Robles too, just because his plate discipline has actually improved so far this season. His chase rate has declined precipitously, so if that is a sign that he is getting things together offensively, maybe that pick will turn out to look smart. But with Soroka, I mean, our outline here, and Zach, you just said it, out for season with setback after Achilles tear last August now requires multiple surgeries. (laughs) So that was, you know, as I was looking through my list and thinking, how do I get this guy on and how do I make everyone fit? It would have been a lot easier for me if we had had a top 26 or 27. Those last couple cuts were agonizing and the guy with this much uncertainty about his health and when he'll be back and whether he'll be diminished by those surgeries that was kind of an easy way for me to find some room on this list. And also, I do think that, you know, he hasn't historically fit the profile 
of the strikeout monster that we all kind of like to see when we are projecting long term. He's obviously been successful, but he's done it in kind of a different way, you know, getting grounders and low BABIP and all of that. And long term, I tend to prefer the strikeout guy. So those two things were enough for me to leave him off my list. And number 23 on the list is in a pretty similar situation. That's Dustin May of the Dodgers, who had an electric start to this season. He was kind of like Soroka in that he didn't get many strikeouts before, but he was getting strikeouts this season, and then he got Tommy John surgery in May. So he's in a similar situation to Soroka. He was at the back of some lists, not on others, but uh, unfortunately, we won't see May for another year plus at this point. Yeah, I think it's a it's a slightly different scenario than Soroka because May has always had the eye popping stuff and had and had a lot of trouble missing bats even out of the bullpen right. uh, in a pretty big big league sample. And so, like he's one of those guys who is probably in that like twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight range for me. Um, I this is exactly where I expected him to to end up. But and the Tommy John doesn't really scare me that much. I think if in this day and age, we can be pretty confident that guys are going to come back. I would would have just liked it to happen at a different time than the first time he's ever striking guys out at the big league level. So I could have a little bit more confidence on on his <laughs> prognosis going forward. Yeah, I had him on my list at 20th, which was right around where Bobby had him, too. And I think it's because Tommy John is not automatic even now, but it's pretty high probability. And even if he were to lose a little bit off his stuff, he'd still probably have among the the best pitcher stuff in baseball. So I think that coupled with the Dodgers acumen with pitcher development and the fact that he seemed to have his breakthrough this season, which made the injury more demoralizing, but makes me even more optimistic about him long term. That was enough, you know, where Tommy John surgery, it's a little more predictable, whereas with Soroka, it's like multiple things going wrong and like exploratory surgery, which just kind of makes me sur- <laughs> makes me scared. So it's not a great phrase. No, it's not. No. <laughs> uh, number 22, though, is someone we basically all agreed on. We all had him between number 20 and 24 on our list. One of the favorite players on this pod, I think if this were a ranking of our favorite players under 25 he would be a lot higher that is nick madrigal of the white Sox, who recently hit his first career home run which is exciting for him but maybe explains why he's near the back of all of our top 25s i was very slightly the low man on on madrigal i had him 24th and i think that's attributed to i believe i'm the only one on this call who uh has rooted for a team that had ben revere on it and <laughs> It's I, I think Madrigal's a really good player. He's going to be a really good player for a really long time. That lack of power uh, is a little disappointing based on what I thought he could grow into when he was coming out of Oregon State. And it's going to be frustrating in the long term, even if he ends up, you know, just because of his high contact rate and his speed, getting into enough doubles and triples to slug in the 400 range. He, for his career right now, has a 309 batting average, but a 386 slugging percentage. And only three other players in the last half century have ever had uh, such a high batting average and such a low slugging percentage. And only one of them is in the last like 30 years. So I think that explains why Magical is so much. I think he so made much... him up. Is Norris, Ho- <laughs> Norris Hooper? Norris Hooper. He, he played, played from, from 2006 to 2008. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Norris Hopper. I wrote this Norris name Hopper? wrong down on the. Yeah. He played for the Reds and collected 440 plate appearances. If you but, say so. 
I think this I've is, never heard of this person. <laughs> yeah, this is why Madrigal is so much fun. I mean, the other two guys in the last 50 years are Manny Moda and Maddie Alou, who are both, I, I think, much more recognizable one of them, names. Yeah, one of them is now batting for Pedro Bourbon. But. Just, I, I think that underscores why Madrigal is so enjoyable to watch and to just stand out amid the current MLB landscape. But I don't think he has like the the MVP level potential that other guys higher up on this list have, in my opinion. Yeah, and we may be biased because we all like him so much. <laughs> I wasn't going to leave him off my list, but if someone had left him off this list, I, I wouldn't have said that you were wrong necessarily. I haven't completely given up on him having better than Ben Revere power, which is a pretty low bar to clear. Well, he's hit the one home run, so yeah. he's making progress. <laughs> he's ahead of the pace. I, I guess Ben Revere didn't have the, the juiced ball to help him out. But I think just, I mean, the contact is so good. And if he can keep the average up, he's not going to be bad. And I feel like he could stay at that level for a long time and be adequate defensively. And I kind of believe in the makeup. Look at me making a makeup argument here on the Ringer MLB show. But I do kind of believe in him just to get the most out of his talent. And I'm not entirely sure what his talent is, but I believe that he will maximize it if he can. A you know who Norris argument from Ben? Wow. Yeah, Look, no. lists, lists will get people doing Playing some crazy stuff here. on here. I yeah. love, to, love it. Norris Hopper hit one career home run off of Rich Hill. Huh. So, wow. What a fun little that, discovery that we've had here. That doesn't make me believe he existed more. <laughs> if that makes okay, so no, sense. We're going to have a fight now because number 21 had, uh, if you measure by standard deviation, the biggest spread for any player on the whole list. That's because he was not ranked by one person. He was 24th and 25th by two other people. And then Mike ranked Sixto Sanchez 10th overall. Averaging that together makes him 21st. Uh, can, on our can we on our collective throw number list. 20 into this fight too and number the... 20 is trevor rogers sixto's teammate on the marlins so let's talk about sixto and trevor rogers 21 and 20 okay so one thing that i was most excited about when comparing my list to to y'all's list was i i thought it would reveal the fault lines the differences in approach between how each among us in in the way that each of us evaluates players. And I think most of the time it's pretty similar. We agree a lot on this pod, particularly uh, in player evaluation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the biggest fault line by far seems to be that you guys are scared to death of pitchers. You are such cowards. <laughs> you could watch what Sixto Sanchez did last year. Watch what he did all the way through the minors with everybody saying, oh, he's too small. He doesn't have the ideal body. Maybe he's going to get hurt. And this guy's an absolute motherfucker. He's going to win a Cy Young Award if, like, if his arm even stays attached. So Ben having him off is so predictable. It's so <laughs> fitting. And I hope that you're happy with your little dink and dunk offense that can't even catch up to Sixto Sanchez's fastball. Number 20, Trevor Rogers. I think if we did this list in three months, he would be up in the mid-teens on everybody's list. I disagree with the, the assertion that he came out of nowhere because he was a high first-round pick and there was no public minor league uh, uh, competition last year. So it might seem like he came out of nowhere, but that kind of stuff from the left side, like, I don't know if I was the only one who had had Shane McClanahan on my top 25, uh, but you don't get 
that guys like that from the left side, they don't grow on trees. And so maybe I'm a little aggressive on him. Maybe I still believe in Sixto too much. I'm not appropriately scared off by, guess what? Every pitcher's hurt now. So that's why we didn't pick pitchers. <laughs> You're making our case for effectively us. Effectively making our case Thank for you. us right there. <laughs> you walked right into it. Honestly, you talked about uh, Tommy John surgery before and how pretty predictable it is to return now. Sixto Sanchez, it's his shoulder and not his elbow. And we don't actually know what the injury is. Yeah, It's mysterious. He hasn't pitched this season. He's had some setbacks. And I think that's why I'm scared. If I had made this list in spring training, Sixto would have been much higher based on how effectively he pitched down the stretch. And like you said, he didn't come out of nowhere. He had that track record. But shoulders scare me because shoulder injuries are not as routine as elbow injuries at this point. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And you mentioned, Mike, if we were doing this three months later, we would all have Rodgers higher. If we were doing it three months earlier, I don't know that we would have had Rodgers at all. I don't think I would have. I probably wouldn't have have either. Yeah, I would have had 6-0 over Rodgers. So this is probably recency bias. It, It could be. Rogers has looked. Or it could be your stubborn refusal to reevaluate your priors. <laughs> My prior is that Sixto is not pitching right now, and we don't really know why. And it's a shoulder. And yes, that does unnerve me. And, you know, as good as his stuff is and as hard as he throws, he was kind of in the Dustin May pre 2021 camp of not really getting the strikeouts that you would expect. And like May, I expect that Sixto, if healthy, would figure that out eventually because he just throws too hard and, and the stuff is too good. So if that were the only concern, that would not keep him off my list. And he was close to making it as it was. And I feel a little bit better knowing that he was last or second to last on Bobby's and, and Zach's list. But yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared of shoulder injuries. Good. So so you can explain. So if shoulder injuries are a death sentence, and why'd you... Why is Julio Arias, uh, is he your highest ranked pitcher? <laughs> he now second. Highest, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, well, he's uh, he's number 19. I guess we can say he is uh, he is on. How's that for a segue? Zach? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is on my list because he is not currently injured, <laughs> which I think is an important distinction. He has returned. <laughs> also, because his... he shut down the opposing team in the World Series last year. Yeah, he has returned from his injuries and, and wow, pitched quite congratulations, well. <laughs> congratulations, Jeremy Guthrie. Uh, <laughs> So, so I think that, you know, if we were doing this later in the season and if Sixto came up and showed he was healthy and was the same old Sixto, then we would change this. So to some extent, as any list or ranking will be, this is sort of a, a snapshot of this moment in time. And not only might it look silly 10 years from now, it, it might look silly 10 weeks from now. So I think we should keep that in mind. But the larger point about pitchers, which I think we were planning to get to a little later, but we might as well now. I think we all had fairly few pitchers on our list, right? Zach, you you looked up the numbers. I know I had five pitchers on my list and no one higher than 16th. So that was pretty representative of what all of us did. I, I guess Bauman, his highest pitcher, was a lot higher than ours. But uh, that was kind of where we all were. And, and that's something that I wrote about a couple of years ago, that if you look at public prospect lists, you've seen the same trend over the you know decades that public prospect rankers have been ranking prospects, we've seen fewer and fewer pitchers making those lists, especially in the upper regions of those lists. And there are two reasons for that, I think. 
A is that there are injuries, and I think there's a greater recognition of the risk that comes along with those injuries. Hitters get hurt too. Hitters get hurt all the time, especially this year, but fewer of those injuries are career-threatening. So that's one problem. The other problem is the change in pitcher usage. And we're seeing that the best pitchers now, they're not giving you 300 innings or 250 innings or even 200 innings in many cases. So the upside, I think, is lower than it used to be compared to a position player whose upside is still essentially the same. Yeah, I think injuries are definitely a part of that. I'm looking, uh, I just pulled up the Fangraph's top 100 list from 2019, and that included Brendan McKay, who's been hurt. That included Dustin May, who's been hurt. Sixto Sanchez, uh, Brent Honeywell, who's been hurt more times than I can count. Michael Kopech, who had Tommy John surgery. So that's part of it. But I also think we're in a weird blip where this generation of pitchers that was supposed to rise and kind of follow the Giolito, Flaherty, Bieber class just hasn't quite gotten there yet. You know, Forrest Whitley was at the top of that prospect list, and he's been in the wilderness for a few years. Mackenzie Gore hasn't reached the majors yet. Jesus Lazardo and Casey Mize were both considered for my list. I actually had Lazardo at the back end because I believe in his talent so much, but they just haven't put it together at the major league level yet, whereas a lot of the comparable hitters have shown more at the MOB level. And, and some of these guys will surely be really good in time. They just haven't gotten there yet. So I think we're still waiting for this youngest generation of pitchers to prove that they belong on a list like this. I think it's it's a timing fluke for a lot of these guys too because yeah, I agree. look, the the list that Zach read off for 25 and 26-year-olds is Otani who he's a pitcher. That's right, Ben. Shane Bieber, <laughs> Corbin Burns, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito. I would put every single one of those guys on this list if I were if we were including 25 and 26-year-olds. So, yeah. I I really do think that like between the the fact that guys are having injuries at such younger ages and not coming up until later, some of these guys who are 24, 25 just don't have the track record for me to believe that they're going to have 12-year careers. Like even, we're talking about six, so I'm putting him on the back end of this list because I'm afraid that he might turn into Pedro Martinez and I would look stupid for not putting him on this list. But at the same time, like if he has a 10-year career, he's not going to have a better career than some of these other guys that we have higher on this list. It's just, not, in totality, it's just not going to look the same. It's not going to be as much value for teams that are only using guys for 180 innings a year. Yeah, and this is historically great time for young hitters. I mean, this generation, maybe it goes along with the fact that it's not as great a time for young pitchers, but there have been so many articles written about that, many of them by us, about just how great the young echelon of, of hitters are, and, and we will get to a lot of those guys later in this episode. So I think it is kind of a quirk of timing, as you're saying. The, so the last thing I'll say about that is because it's so rare that you'll get guys who throw 200 innings, particularly guys who throw 200 innings at like an ace-like level, is that if you, and maybe this is foolish of me to think that I can identify Sixto as one of those guys or the number one pitcher on my list as one of those guys, they're they're getting rare, which makes them more valuable relative to their competition. And so I don't want to paint any of the current under 25 pitchers is like the next DeGrom. But that's why I was willing to sort of go out there on a limb a little bit for uh, for the pitchers that I thought were the best of this this crop. So, you know, I'm not afraid to to be ridiculed by you guys. I've been ridiculed by better and smarter and, and will be again in the future. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll see in 20 years which one of us was right. Yeah. We'll be if we're convened. still all on speaking terms in 20 years, that's... <laughs> And this is also an area where I think the potential changes in the game gave me the most pause about ranking pitchers as low as I did, just because 
if we do get restrictions on pitcher usage, if we get, you know, a, a certain limitation on the number of pitchers you can carry or can use in a game and we see the pendulum start to swing back to guys going deeper into games, then suddenly there's more value maybe accruing to those pitchers. So that was, you know, you mentioned Shane McClanahan and I seriously considered him for the last spot on my list, but then I'm thinking, well, he's on the Rays and he just goes five innings every time and that doesn't seem like it's going to change. And now relievers and starters well, <laughs> are almost indistinguishable. Yeah, until, you know, if he history gets tells us right. one thing, right, it's the young Rays pitchers <laughs> yes. soon become young pitchers on other teams. Exactly. But, you know, that is one thing where, I mean, the whole trend of baseball history is really toward lighter workloads and fewer innings. So it, it seems somewhat unlikely that that's totally going to reverse itself within the next 10 or 15 years. And that even if it does, the pitchers we're talking about who came up under these conditions will suddenly be able to turn into 1970s workhorses again. You know, it might need a, another generation beyond that for those changes to be reflected. So I didn't really adjust my list based on that, but I thought about it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, next up on the list, we have two outfielders who ranked kind of in the mid-teens for three of the four of us, and then Bauman almost left off his list entirely, and in one case did. 18th place, Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, and 17th, Kyle Tucker of the Astros. Okay, am I explaining myself as the outlier? So this is going to happen because I, again, was not so much of a coward that I wouldn't rank any pitchers in my top 15. So some of my guys are going to be bumped a little farther down the list. Uh, these two I did for different reasons. Tucker, I think is he's good. Like, he's a good corner outfielder. Uh, it's a pretty swing. I don't see, like, star superstar upside. And so it's hard for me to get excited about a guy who's just, a good left fielder. Carlson is, is someone who I like a lot as a player. I think that there's, he's still got something to prove that like his, his prospect ranking, um, really across the board last off season, he was a consensus top 10, top 15 prospect in all of baseball. Like Zach, you ranked him 12th. Like I could see him becoming that kind of player. I'm just not completely sold yet. So if him ending up at 18, I'm perfectly fine with. He's one of those guys that I was sort of talking about in the 17 to 30-ish range that could end up anywhere, depending on what you wanted. 
I think Carlson is an example of one player who is really tough for me to handle on this list, which is players who debuted in 2020, just because that season was so short and it's hard to parse. Like Carlson was 35% below average at the plate in 35 games last year. And is that meaningful? And this season, for contrast, he's well above average. He has a 123 WRC plus. And I guess you could just average those two and say that's essentially what he's been so far, which in Carlson's case is a 22-year-old who's been a league average hitter over his career and is a good defender. He has good speed. So I think that makes him a really valuable player long-term. And I wonder how high he would have been on the list if he just hadn't played in 2020. And all we knew about him was his 2021 debut. You can't really do that. It's not fair to just ignore data like that. But there were some players on this list who made it all fair and love and list making. Zach, come on, you can do whatever you want to justify putting guys anywhere. Yeah, apparently you can. Looking at some of the numbers that Ben threw out. Yeah, with with Carlson, I saw people subdividing the already small sample from last season to make the point that he improved within that season. So he debuted on August 15th, and at the end of August, he had a 498 OPS. By the end of September, he had a 616 OPS because his OPS in that month was over 800. And, you know, he had been playing double headers every day with the Cardinals yeah, as know, they were making up their their COVID losses and last it, season. And an so. 800 and change OPS from a corner outfielder is just the kind of gangbusters performance that you that makes you throw out your entire conception of mathematics. Hey, in 2021, 800 OPS is actually pretty special. So (laughs) that's true. (laughs) (laughs) You need to readjust your baselines here. So yeah, I'm kind of a a believer in Carlson. I'm I'm actually with you pretty much on Tucker and uh, I had him 19th, which I guess was lower than Zach and Bobby, but between them and Bauman. 16th on the list is Glaber Torres. And I ranked Glaber 16th, expecting to be the lowest person on him. And that did not end up being the case. He had one of the tightest spreads for anybody on this list, which is kind of strange because if we had done this ranking like at this time last year, so before the abbreviated 2020 season, before 2021, Glaber probably would have been in my top five. But at this point, I kind of see two different paths for him. On the one hand, he could develop into the middle of the order shortstop that was expected of him as a top prospect and as a young player in the bigs. but. He also might just be an average hitting second baseman. If you look at his slugging in particular since 2020, his first two seasons, he had a 5'11 slugging percentage and 62 home runs. And, you know, maybe 61 of those were against the Orioles, but that's still really impressive production from from a, a player at a prime defensive position at such a young age. In 2020 and 2021, he has a 354 slugging percentage and just five homers. And that's not with good shortstop defense. So he fell pretty precipitously on my list from just where he would have been last year. Bobby, do you want to go first? I just think that if we did this list a few years ago, you're right, that he would have probably been in the top five. But because we would have been assuming that his production would have been some sort of linear and it just has not been anything close to that like you look at his best season in 2019 and everybody's talking about it like it's a prime a-rod season and it's it's really not he had 38 home runs that's a lot he also played all of his home games in yankee stadium and hit 17 of those home runs against baltimore so 124 wrc plus that's really good for a young player as young as he was playing on a big stage with the yankees but it ultimately only amounted to less than four war which you know, you guys just said that Kyle Tucker is going to top out at whatever he's going to top out at. He's, like, he's going to have five, six, seven seasons better than Glaber's best offensive season so far. 
when you factor in the defense and you factor in the context. So yeah. I, I just don't, it's funny that we all put him in the middle of the list because we were afraid to put him at the back half of this list because of how good he looked and how well we thought about him as a prospect. But I just don't think that the production over four seasons has been there. It is hard to let go of a guy who played up the middle and OPS plus in the 120s as a 21-year-old. But one thing that we've seen in the past couple of years is we've seen a lot of him playing shortstop. And I hate. I hate watching him play shortstop. He is such a bad defender there. I can't stand it. And like I he deserves to be on this list on on merit. And I couldn't rationalize leaving him off. But like there's a chance that he and Kyle Tucker both turn out to be pretty good hitting left fielders. And that's that's <laughs> as far as this goes. Like I second base, you know, go with God. I I don't know if he sticks there long term either. I also think he's hurt by the fact that there are other, you know, second base types on this list that we're going to get to in the next five or six who can definitely field middle infield and look much more athletic in the field. And even if their bat doesn't have quite as much pop as Glaber, you know, like a, I don't want to spoil too much, but a guy like Albies or a guy like Chisholm who we're about to get to, I just, I feel better about them at this point. And until we see another Glaber season like 2019, I'm not, I'm not sure about it. Is that your segue, Bobby? Because number 15 is sure. Jazz Chisholm. Sure, off the backboard. Yeah, like uh, Rodgers, another Marlin who definitely would not have made this list if we made it in spring training. All three of you were higher on Chisholm than Torres. He was uh, at the back of my top 25 because while he is super fun, it's also super worrying that he has a 35% strikeout rate and I'm not sure how sustainable his slash line is. But talk about Jazz because he's great fun and he made uh, number 15 on our list. Yeah, you're the the worry wart here, and probably with good reason. <laughs> and normally I would be with you on these things and kind of taking the long view, but I have kind of bought into the hype. And maybe that is because he's just such an exciting player and he's had the highlights of, you know, hitting the home run on the triple digit fastball from DeGrom or whatever it was. Like it seems like he has the ability to hit the best stuff and hit it hard. And that doesn't mean that he can consistently do that or that he doesn't swing at some pitches that he shouldn't swing at. But the raw skills seem to be impressive enough and he is young enough that I'm a believer. So I certainly see your case for having him ranked lower, whereas we all have him, you know, in the 12 to 14 range, which is certainly aggressive, you know, given again, there could be some recency bias here. Yeah, and he's. I think we've been spoiled by guys like even dating back to Trout and Harper who came into the league as teenagers basically and hit immediately. Like he's 23, but he's still got fewer than 200 career plate appearances in the major leagues. And so I think there's still some learning, some refinement to his offensive process. I just, I like the tools so much better than, than somebody like Torres. And uh, you know, that's balanced out by he's behind spoiler alert, Ozzy Albies on, on this list. uh, Who's, done it in the major leagues and has more of that track record. Um, so yeah, I think there's a little risk. There's a little bit of what I said about D- Dylan Carlson, but I, the upside is is so great that I don't mind taking that risk. Can I be a, can I be just a boilerplate sports radio guy? Just dude has no fear. He has absolutely no fear. And like I, I don't, I don't care if he's won me over with the makeup because sometimes it just does take a little bit of that to grow into your full potential. Like he's not going to be, you know, 
he he's not going to crumble under his thirty five percent K rate the way that other prospects might. Like he just has a ton of confidence, and yeah, I, I don't see that going away. He plays the opposite way to to how Ben makes lists of players. <laughs> you should be picking on Zach here. He's the guy who uh, who bumped Jazz down. Next up on the list is our top pitcher, number fourteen. He had the second widest spread of any player on the list in large part because of the pitching argument we just had. This is Ian Anderson of Atlanta, whom Bauman ranked sixth overall, while the rest of us had him in the back half of our 25. I I love Anderson. And again, he was the top pitcher on my list. I just, for all the reasons we said, for the fact that Anderson this year has seemingly regressed a little to just basically average walk and strikeout rates. I couldn't place him any higher, although I, I do think he's the best under 25 pitcher right now. He's average. Well, I guess like that, the, the pitch mix, the change up, which is uh, the change up might be the best under 25 pitch uh, of anybody. I, you know, you can talk about maybe McClanahan's fastball being in that, um, in that range, what he was able to do in the playoffs last year, the, the, poise and polish that he showed as by the way as somebody who uh just turned 23 and was not like a big time college prospect he was from like east deliverance new york as a high school prospect and he's still developing like he's he's this is what he is now and i think he's still got some some runway left to to improve i think that he can end up being that guy i was talking about the 200 inning um, you know, I'm not going to compare anybody to Bieber or DeGrom, but but somebody who could be that number one starter at high volume for a very, very long time. And that just solves so many problems for a team. Like if if you hit on one of those guys, it just makes such a difference when you're trying to build a winning roster around them. Um, so I'm betting on the stuff. I'm betting on the results so far. I'm not scared off by like the compare the 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 regression that you guys are talking is 133 ERA plus um, as a 23 year old in his second year. Like, okay, I guess that's not very good. <laughs> you, it's another case of having to adjust our baselines because he's striking out a little more than a, a batter per inning. And that is basically what the league does now. So I am impressed with him too. I, you won't get any argument for me on him being the best candidate to, to be high on this list. It's just that, the highest pitcher is a lot lower on my list than on yours. And I think, you know, he was my number one guy just at 16th, which was actually higher than Zach and Bobby had him. And it's just you to, guys to get you guys all need to watch defending your life. Is the, the lesson <laughs> I'm taking from this podcast to get a pitcher up into that stratosphere, especially now. I mean, the names in the top 10 and the top six, which we will get to are just so incredibly impressive you'd have to be like an otherworldly prospect and, and talent and have the track record and the health and everything to get you to that spot. And he's impressive. He is, but he just hasn't done it long enough or at quite high, high enough level to overcome my just inherent pitcher reluctance. This is just cognitive dissonance, just me defending myself on thinking about the Mets whiffing through his changeup 80% of the time for the next 12 years. I just, I, I bumped him down. Wishful thinking. I definitely had one of those moments when when I had uh, 
three Marlins in my top 15. And before I realized how old Pablo Lopez was, like it, it was very nearly like four in the top 20. Yeah. I was like, it's going to be a long rest of my life. The Braves and the Marlins are both most well represented on this list. Yeah. I do feel bad uh, putting Anderson out looking at the next two guys on our list in particular, because the next two guys are very one dimensional. And in retrospect, I wish I had placed Anderson ahead of both of them. Bauman, you've convinced me on that front. Thank you. Not, not into my top 10. but That's some comfort. <laughs> no, I can live with that. Uh, number 13 is Jordan Alvarez, and number 12 is Eloy Jimenez. I'm happy that they ended up next to each other because they're fairly similar in terms of skill set in that they could both end up being the best hitter on this list outside the very top guys. But defense and injury history for Jimenez, injury present. kind of scare me off of both of them in terms of placing them in the top 10. Yeah, I guess I was the the high man on Jordan. I had him at 12th and maybe that is aggressive. He has just been so good. I mean, he's been one of the best hitters when he's been on the field since he debuted in 2019. And the when he's been on the field caveat is pretty important because he was almost not at all on the field last year. And he is very rarely on the field, if by that we mean playing a fielding position. So that is obviously going to hold back his value and he has to hit as well as he did in 2019 to be like, you know, an MVP type candidate as a DH. So that does concern me. And the fact that he's broken down physically at 23 or almost 24 now, what does that mean for what he will look like at 32? I have no idea. And does that start to sap his production? Now it's just limited his availability but is there a point at which, you know, the the knee surgeries start to accumulate and that actually takes away some of his power? And then it's not just a matter of is he in the lineup or not, but is he going to be as productive as he's been? But he's just been so good whenever he's been healthy and in the lineup to this point that that was enough to make me bump him up. I just wish he played first base. Like, I just wish he was just a decent enough defender and they had moved him to a I corner. Yeah, I don't know that he's not because... Because, uh, or sorry, you talking about Alvarez or Alvarez? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we might not find out how he is as the first baseman until Yuli Gurriel's out of the picture because he's such a good defender there that he's always going to get blocked. I, I don't know. I think you can make kind of make anything work at first base, but uh, you guys all had Eloy at fifteen, and uh, I, I w- was pressured. Uh, into putting him at 15 as well, but it turns out that I had had him a little higher than you guys. Um, Again, the tools. The tools are just just unbelievable. He was really good last year. He was kind of up and down his rookie season, but there's a reason that the White Sox had such a fun lineup that we were looking forward to seeing. Of course, he's hurt, and another uh, teammate of his who is higher up on this list is also hurt, but I think if Eloy were healthy now and just hitting like he did last year without even any improvement, he would have been in my top 10 fairly comfortably. All right, let's go to number 11. Number 11 is uh, Jared Kelnick of the Mariners. He is the youngest player on this list and kind of where the ranking is really impossible because how do you compare Kelnick with 80 career plate appearances with someone like Raphael Devers, who has 24 times as many, nearly 2,000 plate appearances? Obviously, Kelnick is not hitting very well in his major league introduction. He's at a 111 batting average, 200 on base, but I don't know. He's really young. He's a top prospect and I'm not at all scared off of his potential just by 80 bad plate appearances. Yeah. You could talk about the spread. You can, this is just another 
uh, instance of me on one side and the groupthink triplets on on the other. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think Kelnick's great. I have every confidence he's going to be good. I but when like you said, we're comparing him to guys who have multiple years of big league production. I need to see like something, and so. Even I, you know, I might say that this is a ridiculous, that I was ridiculously low to rank him where I have him 22nd. That might look ridiculous in three months, and I'm willing to live with that. Yeah. Kevin Mather and the Mariners did their best to spare us this de- this decision by holding him down for as long as they could. But ultimately, he forced his way up here and forced our hands. And yeah, I, I mean, he hasn't done anything since he made the majors really to make me more confident, but he just seemed like such a can't miss prospect. And also, he is young. He is uh, 21. And, you know, he's the youngest, I think, player I ranked, certainly the youngest position player. And obviously that means he has less of a track record to go on, at least at the major league level. But it also means that if he does get it together, then I give him a little bit of an edge over a 23, 24-year-old guy who maybe has a little less room to improve or just a little less time to accumulate value. So I think that to me is kind of what separated him. I believe in him as a player, obviously, to rank him this aggressively. And this is just kind of a case of hoping the prospect evaluators are right. Are we just going to let Bauman get away with implying that we're scared because we ranked a high school outfielder (laughs) higher than he ranked all of these college pitchers with good pitchability? You're the freaking scared one, Bauman. You're so scared that he won't have the, he'll have too much swing and miss in his profile that you thought that the Diaz trade was a good trade. Bauman, that was, we've been arguing about this for years. (laughs) Billy Bean over here only looking at college pitchers. First of all, first of all, it wasn't, that he would have too much swing and miss. It was that he wouldn't be able to catch up against tougher competition. And oh, what happened? I've been proved wrong. I'm sorry. I'm trying to soft. You think what 21 people are going to have a better career than 21 year old Jared Kelnick, who's universally regarded as one of the best prospects in baseball and came up and he only had 80 plate appearances. If he hadn't come up and had 80 plate appearances, do you think that you would think higher of him? Well, I wouldn't have been allowed to rank him now, would I? I'm just saying hypothetically. Not really. I mean, it would have been nice if he had come out and blown the doors off the place, but, you know, it's not what you want. It's not a huge deal either. That is an interesting question that we didn't have to consider, like, and I'm very glad I did not have to compare Wander Franco to any of the guys we're about to name. But I I think given that Kelnick, I placed uh, where I placed him 11th overall, and he hasn't hit as well, and he's not in the, the class of prospect that Wander is, I think. Wander might have been in my top five. I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that some more. Yeah. But I, I think I would have had him probably right around five, six. He's been wow. he's been playing so well. He just doesn't strike out anymore. He is uh, looking just too good for AAA, and he will be up sometime soon. But yeah, I mean, that's just another case of universal acclaim from people who study prospects combined with youth, combined with just a skill set that seems like it would age well and just kind of an all-around player. So I would definitely have to put him in my top 10, I think. Batman would rather have Ryan Ryan Weathers than Wanda Franco. (laughs) I thought about Ryan Weathers. (laughs) You guys are, you know, you guys are afraid of pitchers. We're at the top 10 now, and number 10 is... Ozzy Albies, who does not have, I think, nearly as much variation. He's been up for a while. He's been fairly consistent, and he's just a good all-around player. I think 10th seems right for him. Ozzy Albies is yeah. uh, 
yeah, he's very good, and he's going to be in Atlanta for a long time because he signed an absolutely terrible contract. He is the holder of the Shane Victorino endowed chair in is a switch hitter and should not be. Uh, that's my hot take on Ozzy Albies. Yeah, I love Albies. He's just kind of good at everything. You know, his defensive stats were better, like elite earlier in his career. And so I don't know what to make of the fact that he's been average-ish there, at least according to some metrics over the past couple seasons. But when they were kind of off the charts good, like he didn't really even have to hit to be valuable. And he sort of settled in as a, a comfortably above average hitter, not an elite hitter, but he's also a great base runner and adds value there. And he's been durable for the most part. So I just, I love Albies. I've liked him for a long time. I think we should talk about the next two guys together. They are both center fielders, Trent Grisham uh, of the Padres in ninth and Lewis Robert in eighth from the White Sox. I just want to say, because two of us had Grisham higher and two of us had Robert higher, which I think makes for a fun debate. But since the start of last season, Trent Grisham ranks third among all under 25 players in war behind only Acuna and Tatis, who, spoiler alert, are a lot higher on this list. I think Trent Grisham is fantastic. I've expressed that on this podcast before, on the website before, He is an above-average hitter. He is an above-average runner. He is an above-average defender. Great patience at the plate. Trent Grisham is great. And obviously, Robert is hurt now, but has just immense potential. Yep, I'm with you on that. We both ranked him sixth. I think I briefly had him even higher before I chickened out. He has just been incredible. And the Padres, that's just been a, a total steal of a trade for them. So I think he gets overshadowed by Tatis and Machado and all of the other great players that the Padres have. And his skill set and maybe the experience of watching him is just a little less sensational than it is with some of those guys. But he has been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to badmouth him because he's awesome and I love him and he's going to be a huge part of a really good team. I just I had him 11th and I think in the top if you're going to go in the top 10, like you need some more wow factor than he's got. I think you're like I'm really trying to to shoot the moon with some of the with if I'm putting a guy in the top 10. Um, But yeah, it's I'm, I do appreciate that you guys are are both committing to the bit, the Trent Grisham bit, because it's rapidly approaching Lance Lynn territory for both of you. <laughs> Robert didn't, when when he was either a young prospect or just signing, there was a scout that said he was the most talented player in the world. Mm-hmm. Including so Mike I guess, I guess he does have the, the, the wow yeah. factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he does. Yeah, and he was, <laughs> he was starting to answer some of those questions about some of the refinement and some of the on-field production before he got hurt. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. Grisham is is like a very high probability of a very good player. And Robert is also a high probability of a good player, perhaps less so, perhaps more questions about um, like that last little bit of polish on his game. But he has the potential to be to win an MVP. And I don't think you can say that for Grisham. Well, maybe not because the voters will underrate him the way that you do. But I do think that (laughs) Robert uh, definitely has the the more eye-catching skill set. And I hope that the complete tear of the hip flexor, which looked painful and sounds painful, and he's obviously a player who is, I don't know if I'd say dependent on speed, but speed is a big part of his game. So I'm hoping that that won't be a long-term issue just because his defense is so good, his base running is so good that 
even if he never completely ironed out his plate discipline issues, the speed alone would make him a valuable player. So again, I'm hoping that he is not diminished by the present injury. Number seven on the list is Rafael Devers of the Red Sox. And my question about Devers is, how is he only 24? He seems like he has been up forever. No kidding. (laughs) He was teammates with a healthy Dustin Pedroia, Hanley Ramirez, and Doug Fister. So I think we have a much better sense of Devers' abilities and track record than a lot of the younger guys on this list. So he was seventh and, and in the top 10 for all of us. I actually don't feel like I have a better handle on his abilities. <laughs> he, he does have a longer track record for sure, but it has been kind of up and down. I mean, he has fluctuated from like average hitter, below average hitter to superstar. He's playing really well right now. He had a great 2019, but I don't totally know what to make of his bat or his glove for that matter. Like that's kind of fluctuated too, where it seems like he's improved there and I would say he's probably still a below average third baseman, but not a bad one, maybe. So despite the fact that we've been watching him for years and I kind of did a double take when I realized that he was still eligible for this list, I don't necessarily know that I have that great a handle on him, but he has been good enough that I had a hard time ranking him below ninth where he was on my list. I think that's broadly true. I I'll quibble a little bit with like a lot of the inconsistency, a lot of the reason that I've kind of underrated him, I think the the past few years was that pretty bad sophomore year he had um, back in 2018. And he's been very good to awesome ever since. I think he's probably stuck at third base a little longer than I expected him to. Like, I don't know if there are questions about the glove so much as he's going to have to move to first eventually. Uh, And that's, it's just a matter of when, but right now, you know, he led the American league in doubles and total bases in 2019. He's leading the American league in doubles has 14 home runs right now. Like if I'm going to put a, if I'm going to put a corner guy this high, particularly somebody who's not an elite defender, like somebody a couple spots up on, on this list, he's got to absolutely rake. And I think Devers has done that over the, the past few years. Speaking of corner guys ranked high, <laughs> should we get to the next guy? Number six, Cabrian Hayes, with all of 102 career plate appearances, though I believe he is about to come back from a rehab stint. And I don't know if I expected him to rank this high. I was kind of surprised when making this list that I just couldn't bump him below my top 10 because Hayes hit about as well as we could have possibly expected last year. And he has an amazing glove. So is this like, The next Matt Chapman, maybe he might not quite be at that level as a defender, but I think he has the clear two-way ability to place him this high, even with such little track record. The sneaky thing about Matt Chapman is that he's actually not that great at the plate for like long stretches of most of the season sometimes. And he's still, every single year, in the top 10 in war because defensively, at, at this important of a position, he's just so incredible. And Hayes has that potential. And I think that his bat, looked about as good early in his career as Chapman's has ever looked. Maybe not power-wise, but in terms of future value of an entire career, the the value that you can amass at third base with that good of a glove is just, as we've seen with Chapman, Arenado, other guys like that, it's just exorbitant. Aesthetically, it's my favorite thing to watch in baseball. It's great third third base defense. And maybe I'm, I was surprised that the rest of you were as high on him as I was. Chapman is not a perfect comp. 
Because I, like I said, I don't think he's going to become the best defensive third baseman in the world the way that the Chapman is, but he's going to be plus plus uh, with the glove over there and probably a more consistent hitter. I don't know if he's going to be a better overall hitter, but he, I think he's going to, like you said, probably avoid some of those longer slumps that have, have uh, dragged Chapman down. I think he's kind of underrated because one, the Pirates, and two, I don't know why he hasn't like gotten the the same kind of attention as as somebody like Kelnick or or Jimenez who was sort of a, a similar caliber of a prospect coming up. Uh I don't really have an explanation for it, but I think he's going to be a special player. Fifth on the list is Bo Bichette. And this one is simple because we all ranked him number Woo-hoo. five. There was a I think like I said at the beginning, there was a clear top four and we all had the same top four in different orders and then place Bichette fifth. He's just a very good hitter at a premium defensive position. I think he will probably be able to stay there for a while to Ben's earlier question about the changing game. I think one area we've already seen is that due to defensive positioning, players who might not have always been able to stick at shortstop have been able to, you know, your Corey Seegers. And I think Bichette fits that class where he's not a gold glover at short, but I think he'll be able to stick there long-term and putting that bat in that lineup spot just makes him so valuable. Um, also, the son of a big leaguer, four of our top six are the sons of former big leaguers. And I don't think there's anything really wrong with Bichette's game. He's pluses all around. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, let's go to the top four because there was more disagreement than I thought there'd be, which again, might be my fault. (laughs) Number four. (laughs) Number four, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bichette's teammate, who ranked fourth for everyone else and then third for Mike. You want to gush about Vlad's season this year? Because he would not yeah. have been this high well, uh, you know, a couple months ago. That's exactly it. I mean, it's not that I am surprised that that he's doing this or that there was ever really any significant doubt that he was going to become one of the best hitters in the league. It was just a matter of when and how and getting those reps in. And the comp I keep drawing is his season now to Bryce Harper's MVP year where Harper, like these are the last two players that came up with that level of hype as a hitter. And Harper was a very good player at 19 and 20. And then at his, his age 22 season, he put together the 1941 Ted Williams year adjusted for inflation. And like, you just look at how hard Guerrero is hitting the ball. Had the, the small to medium sized refinements he's made in his approach. He might be the most talented hitter in the world. Uh, and he's going to become, he's like, he, he is the level, you know, I talked about this with Devers is if I want a corner guy, if I'm going to really 
go out on a limb for a corner guy. He's got to absolutely rake and he's raking and then some. And so like uh, you guys were were acting like this was a big slight on Ronald Acuna that I ranked him fourth. But like this is I, I think we could agree that this is just a really exceptional group of four players. And I happen to be a little higher on one than the rest of you. Yeah, I think with Guerrero, the offensive skill set alone, like if we were just drafting best bats, he might be my top pick just because I, I believe in that skill set so much. I mean, I'd rather have the Vlad Jr. offensive skill set than the Vlad Sr. offensive skill set. And Vlad Sr. was a Hall of Famer. So that's saying a lot. <laughs> it's really just the fact that he is not one dimensional, but, you know, he will be at, at some point in his career if we're counting offense as one dimension. Obviously, he does multiple things well on offense and he is uh, tied for the lead league in home runs right now with Acuna. He also has the great plate discipline and he walks and he makes contact and, you know, it, it's just everything his dad didn't do. He does. And he also does what his dad did. So it's kind of like the the perfect hitter. And really, it's just, you know, can he maintain the physical condition that he has shown this season? And it's really made a difference. I think certainly in his sprint speed, you can see that reflected where he's been like a league average or so runner, which was certainly not the case the last couple of years. But he has still been a pretty poor defender. So that's the question. You know, if he is a poor defender at age 22, if he doesn't maintain the condition or if he just gets older, you know, at what point does he become a DH? And even as a DH, he could still be really valuable. So not saying that that's going to end his career or anything. It just might lower Good, his ceiling somewhat. <laughs> oh, boy. You might might be better off with Evan White because first base defense <laughs> is so important. No, but if you're asking me to choose between Vladimir Guerrero and, say, Ronald Acuna Jr., for instance, uh, that would make the... Yeah, I think that's a fair... Uh, yeah, yeah I, that's a fair criticism, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, and 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 just to say, I mean, as we get into the big four here, this big four, which, you know, the ones we haven't named, I think everyone can figure out who they are. It's an incredible list. I, I won't spoil the order right now, but Acuna and Tatis and You'll you know, be surprised where and Guerrero Hazley falls on this. <laughs> right. And and Soto. I mean number one, Alec Bohm. Yeah. This He would man, what a disappointment. Yeah. Ty, the, of, the exact uh, reverse of Dylan Carlson. Yeah, speaking in of, terms of, of twenty versus twenty one. Guys who might have been different a few months ago. Yeah. But really, this quartet, I mean, we should just take a moment. Like we'll we'll argue about the order that we have them in. But as you were saying, it's it's reasonable to have them kind of in almost any order here, I think. And I, I just think we're spoiled. I mean, to have this for not only this good, but this young, where if we were doing top 24 under 24, these guys all still would have qualified. So they're qualifying for this list with some room to spare. And Zach, I, I guess you kind of came up with some other quartets that maybe could rival them in history, but you're talking, you know, not often do you have this confluence of young of youth and elite talent so i think we're we're sort of spoiled by getting to pick from these players yeah you posed that question earlier and i think probably e either like ty cobb eddie collins walter johnson and trish speaker is up there if you want to go 120 years ago or mantle Mays, aaron and then either k-line or eddie matthews is probably the best quartet of young players at any one point that I could find doing a quick search but who knows how how this quartet's tra uh, career is going to end up because they could all end up as hall of famers you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're 
watching them all speak in Cooperstown one day. Number three on the list is Ronald Acuna Jr. And I think rather amusingly, he was first for Ben, second for me, third for Bobby, and fourth for Bauman. So that's why he ended up number three here, just because there wasn't quite that consensus at the top. But again, it's you can nitpick certain parts of his game, and I think that's why I dropped him below number one. Like Bauman, you and I have talked offline before. Is he a good defender or is he just fast? And I, I think Acuna also doesn't quite have the on-base ability of someone else at the top, but it's hard to really critique any parts yeah, of his game given how good he is overall. It only show up because of who he's being compared to. Uh, I mean, that combination combination of, of hit tool, speed, power. Well, I went number one on Acuna and I, I, I was getting aggrieved because we were having this conversation offline. And I think what you said, Mike, is that uh, you could not rationalize having Acuna in your top spot. And that is the part that I think I think you're twisting my words, but I also think you can rationalize a lot of things I can based <laughs> on our conversation so far today. Yes. So, I, I mean, basically, yeah. Other than everything you've ever said about Shohei Otani, that might be your worst take of all time, because I just think that if if that is uh, if I'm not twisting your words too terribly, that I think is is kind of inconceivable to me, because if we're going to go by just which of these players has produced the most thus far, which obviously we're drafting based on future production, not past production, but past production tends to be a pretty good guide when it comes to players. It's uh, one of the best guides we have. And since he came up or, or since the start of 2019, I, I guess you could use also, he has been, I think, pretty easily the best player of anyone who is eligible for this draft. So I think that is worth considering. The fact that he has been the best, arguably, to this point makes me pretty optimistic about him. And if we're nitpicking, you know, his his patience or his plate discipline, I mean, maybe you could say relative to, to Soto, who's like the ultra elite, precocious, you know, Ted Williams reincarnated, fine. But the difference isn't as big as I think people make it out to be. I mean, since the start of last season, Acuna has walked like more than 15% of his plate appearances. Like he is pretty patient. He takes walks. He has improved his chase rate every season so far. And it's to the point now where it's like nearly at Soto level of select of selectivity. So that I think like if that's the big differentiator between those guys, it's not as big of a differentiator as you might think it is. And he is so good at everything else where, you know, he has as much power as anyone in the game tied with Guerrero for the lead league in homers close to the top of the list in stolen bases. You know, don't know whether that will continue as he ages just because players who hit for power tend not to put themselves at risk by stealing a lot. But really, I mean, he has every tool and sometimes when you compliment players and say, oh, they're so toolsy and you you praise their physical skills, it's almost a, a backhanded compliment because you're saying that maybe they haven't turned that into production yet. But he has really in, in every facet of the game and doesn't really come with any serious injury concerns or anything. So there it is. Yeah. There's the <laughs> these things are relevant. Yes, I am concerned yeah, about players who get just, injured. I mean, so. I'm glad there's a consistent logical through line. Yeah, because all that stuff is true about. The athleticism and him providing value where Soto doesn't, but I like Tatis is. Can I get ahead of us? Can can we just like yeah, go ahead, go for go it? To, yeah, let's just just read them, Zach. Read them, read them the order yeah. that they fell. So three was Acuna, number two Fernando Tatis, 
And there was a split because he was number one for both Bauman and Bobby, but number three for both Ben and myself. And then number one in the collective cumulative rankings was Juan Soto because he was in the top two for everyone, number one for me, and number two for everyone else. Go ahead, Mike. Okay. So all everything you're saying about Acuna being close to Soto offensively, or in every respect, like it's absolutely true. But if you're gonna get the guy who's more or less Soto at the plate and also provides value elsewhere, why wouldn't you get the shortstop who's the better base runner is my thing. And the only answer is the same reason that you've been underrating pitchers throughout this entire (laughs) process is you're scared to death of injury and you can't live life like that, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can. I think you might live a a longer and healthier and happier life if you do. Ben is living proof that you can live life like that. Are you going to live longer, Ben, or is it just going to feel longer? (laughs) I hope it will be both. But I think that, yeah, Tatis, uh, the only thing stopping me from ranking him higher is the, the health and the fact that he almost seems to be so explosive and and so talented that his own body is his only vulnerability. And, you know, we saw it just recently where he's out as we speak with some sort of oblique strain and maybe that's nothing serious. But these little things happen. And, you know, I'm kind of concerned about the shoulder, which certainly seems like he's been totally fine since he returned from that. But we're not far removed from this conversation about, is this a chronic shoulder issue? Is he going to have surgery? Could this be a career-threatening thing? So I'm not totally over the anxiety about that. And the other thing is, and you know, it's not a major nitpick, but obviously it's only nitpicks that separate these guys at the top. But the defense, you know, I'm, oh, the I'm, I'm the, you know, the throwing thing. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. The fact that what, the uh, throwing thing, he the, has a league leading error total. That's not it's nothing. Fine. Oh, it's, it's fine. Yeah. This Don't is from Eric now Cosmer until that. the rest of time. He's got the he's got the rest <laughs> of recorded history to learn how to throw the he ball. Has first 14 base. errors right now. It is not what you want. <laughs> so and many. He errors. had a lot of errors in his uh, rookie year, too. And he did not last year. It seemed like he had straightened it out. And I'm not that worried about this long term because I, I do feel like he has the the skills to play short and to stay at short. But, you know, if I'm looking for reasons to rank a guy first or second or third, the fact that sure. he has a league leading air total and that it's not the first time that that has happened, you know, it's a semi concerning. The alternatives, Derek G are just not reaching the ball in the first place well, to yeah. misplay it. I guess fortune I just, favors the eligible. bold. I just don't care about the injuries. I honestly don't. Like, if we had yeah, Ken Griffey exactly Jr. Right. available so on this good. list, like, if, if we were doing this in the 90s and we had Ken Griffey Jr. available on this list and you told me all the injuries that he was going to have throughout his career, he still gets there. Like, he's still one of the greatest players of all time. What? The potential of... That's, and, and Ben's over here. <laughs> well, if we were doing this in the 90s, then you'd be ridiculous. You'd be crazy not to pick Barry Bonds. And like, <laughs> if you told me, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I would have That's... drafted Griffey because I didn't know that he would have that injury tracker. But if you told me that he would have those injuries, <laughs> then yeah, I wouldn't have taken him because he was uh... he still had 650 home runs. Yeah, he still but... was the most electric player when he was on the field. I just think that the potential of him being out there for 90% of the time for me is is just slightly better than Soto being out he there for 95% of the time. In in that Rookie of the Year campaign, he was as good offensively as Pete Alonso was and was almost as good in terms of war despite playing, what, like 40% as many games? Like, that's the kind of player we're dealing with. I don't think, like, we're prepared to comprehend how good he could be if he's even mostly healthy. 
Yeah, but let's talk about Juan his, Soto. Be- is his, yeah, is uh, his ceiling that much higher than <laughs> Ronald Acuna? Zach, I mean, Zach's, yes, <laughs> is it? It is. I it don't is. Think yes, so. it is. What makes you say though? Why? Because he's doing it in an up the middle position. I guess, and he's a better hitter than Acuna is. Mm, I don't know about that. Zach, talk I about think, Juan Soto, who's actually number one on this list. Yeah, so Soto number one on this list. Um, I actually think one distinction when we're really getting into the nitpicks here is that Tatis and Soto are both a year younger than Acuna. And I think that does matter at the margins in terms of rest of career production. And Soto, I mean, Ben, you said it earlier, he's basically Ted Williams. And I know how that guy turned out. He's one of the most uh, valuable position players in Major League history. He is just a phenomenal hitter. Uh, Soto has a career 415 on base percentage. And I know like Acuna and Tatis are approaching that, but they're still, even at their best, not as good at getting on base as Juan Soto is at his worst. And like two weeks ago, Soto was in something of a slump after he had returned from the injured list. And now he's already up to a 141 OPS plus, only sure to rise as the season continues. I do not think that the defensive gap is as large as the reputations, uh, make it out to be between Soto and Acuna and Tatis. Obviously, Soto plays at a less valuable position, but he's also, you know, not committing 14 errors in a third of the season. So, I, I mean... Is it really I an assume... error if you just hit a two-run home run in the bottom of the inning? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I mean, I don't need to convince you all that Juan Soto is great because you all place him number two on your list. I just think when you're when you're making these decisions about who you would most want, I mean, Soto and Acuna came up together. Uh, they were rookies at the same time. Mike, I even think at the time, you wrote a, who would yeah. you rather have? And I think I choose philosophically to fall back on the single talent that I believe in most. And for anybody on this list, for any under 25 player in the majors, that is Juan Soto's bat. I believe that he will hit forever. I believe he will hit no matter what happens to his defense or what happens to the evolution of the game. And I think that's why Soto was top of my list and why he placed number one overall collectively. Yeah, this morning I was talking to the other Ben at the Ringer, Ben Glicksman, uh, my boss, and we were talking about this upcoming show. And I mentioned Soto and he said, he said like, he's got to be the best young hitter since Miguel Cabrera. And I was like, no, he's the best young hitter since like Mel Ott. Like that's the it's the the numbers like we're used to we see like 415 career on base percentage for a 22 year old in this fourth big league season which like it's so ridiculous it all it's it's almost like trout level of uh of reality distorting it's so good that that is so far beyond the norm that uh it's tough to to wrap into like our our conception of, of what makes a good player. He's such a good hitter. Like he could end up being the, the best hitter of, of how pick a time frame since Barry Bonds, I guess you guys have convinced me over the years to put Soto ahead of Acuna. Sorry, Ben, they, they did just hanging out with you guys, listening to you guys week in and week out that philosophy cram to fall back on the thing that you feel most confident in is just, that's going to make Soto above Acuna every single time for me because I I trust that he will always get on base until he, the day he retires, he will be able to get on base. Yeah, I trust that too. I definitely don't want to downplay Juan Soto's abilities. I, I think that maybe 
how good he was in the 60 game season may have slightly inflated our expectations. Like, I don't know if he's a 360 Babbitt guy because I don't think he has the speed as well as he hits the ball. So, you know, is he more of a, a 140, 150 WRC plus guy than a 200 WRC plus guy? And if so, that's not really much different from where Acuna and Tatis are. And uh, maybe he doesn't give you the same, you know, base running ability. And and I agree, Zach, that the defensive gap between, say, Soto and Acuna is not nearly as large as the speed gap between those two guys. And I, you know, I I, I have a hard time really picking between them. I mean, it's one of the great baseball debates of this era, really, Soto, Acuna, and Tatis for that matter. So You can't go wrong with any of these guys, obviously, but you can go wrong if you rank Acuna fourth. That's why we... (laughs) (laughs) That's why we conceived of this exercise, because the arguments over these three are so much fun, and they're going to sustain us for a really long time. And it's, it's fun to argue about players like this when they're all just incredible, because you do end up nitpicking like do I actually care that Fernando Tatis has 14 errors no I think he's amazing he's maybe my favorite player to watch in baseball but when it comes to these arguments you have to identify something as a wedge issue so I I think that's why we've been talking like this for the last 15 minutes that Ben's a coward Um, (laughs) who also has a hard out that we need to respect so I think now is a, a good time to end the show Before we do get out of here, I just want to read off the honorable mentions, the folks who received at least one vote from a member of the panel, so we get less yelling uh, on social media. That is Jesus Lazardo, Shane McClanahan, and Luis Patino as pitchers, and then Nico Horner, Luis Arias, Gavin Lux, Alex Kriloff, and my favorite, Andrew Vaughn on the position player side. I hope that everybody out there listening had as much fun uh, listening to the show as we did putting together the list. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB show. Uh, Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Big up yours to Ben. (laughs) Right back at (laughs) you. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for uh, guest hosting and producing today's episode. And putting Tatis Uh, first overall alongside you. Uh, My sincere apologies to Ronald Acuna Jr., who is a godlike baseball player who I find no fault with. I promise I love him just as much as everybody else. Well, maybe I think not. He's worse than Ian Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I think he's worse than Ian Anderson. Sure. Uh, thanks to Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Ian Anderson for giving us stuff to talk about. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the NCAA tournament, and we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.